before I pray as I normally do, a couple of things. One, it's good to be back. I um, was in quarantine there for a couple of weeks because I was exposed to folks who had COVID. I, I didn't get it, no symptoms, tested negative, but uh, the Asasin protocol had me hanging out without being uh, around CTK. So uh, it's great, great to be back celebrating Mass again uh, with you. I'm celebrating Mass every day just by myself, typically. I'm also going to be preaching today on forming our consciences for, for the election. And, and, and it's just to forming our consciences in general as we engage in our world. Wanted to do it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Father Josh, we had already had him scheduled to come. And then I was going to do it last week. And quarantine happened. So here we are, uh, just maybe eight or nine, ten days away from the election. So let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, we give you permission to do whatever it is you desire to do in our hearts. Ask, Lord, that our minds, hearts, and souls will be fertile soil for your gospel. You would bear great fruit in our life. Illuminate the scriptures for us, the truths of, of ourselves and the Lord. Reveal to us the face of Christ. Convict and console our hearts. Speak, for your servants are listening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First thing to begin with is, before we get into any of the practicals here, is I think too often we, we can fall under the temptation and not so much directly but indirectly begin to place more of our faith and hope in a political party, a political candidate, political system than in the Lord himself. It's really important for us to understand that we are citizens first of the kingdom of God before anything else. We are sons and daughters of the Father. And that who we are, right, as Catholics, matters way more than any political affiliation we have, no matter what it may be. But it's very easy for us to, to um, kind of want to find ourselves in either one of the two political parties and then beginning to let them inform us more of what is true and good than the gospel, which is backwards. We need to allow the gospel to inform us first, and we take our faith into the political sphere and not vice versa. Um, so that's, that's really important. I'm gonna, I'm, it's going to be a longer homily today. There's going to be um, some more kind of technical things that we're going to speak about. I'm going to talk about why is it important to form our consciences, uh, some distinctions the church makes on hierarchy of, of issues that are there talk about those distinctions, talk about some temptations, and then some practical aspects here. And so while, again, the most important thing is for us to engage in our faith and our own conversion, there's a moral obligation of us to engage in the political sphere because it affects our lives and the lives of everyone else. But again, holding in place first the Lord and the kingdom of God. I had one of my professors, just the last year I was there, he's a priest, he's in his 90s now, Father David Kelly, he spent the majority of his priesthood in Central America in like the 60s and 70s and 80s when a lot of the civil wars were happening in Central America. And one thing as he was kind of wrestling with, right, like how 
how to bring about a more just society for the people and the countries that he was living in. Like, how does that happen? And a lot of his, uh, what was going on was like strong engagement in political action. He's like, okay. But the truth is, like he realized as begin to see the effects of it and then begin to read St. John Paul II, that what has real change and effect in people's lives is the change of culture, which is the transformation of a mind and a heart of an individual and then a community. Because if we can change the political system, we can change the political leader. And yes, there are better and worse political systems and better and worse political policies. But if the people who are living in the country and the people who are in governmental positions lack virtue and understanding of what is good, then it's just like one tyranny we're exchanging for another. Right? It's the mind and the heart of the individual person and the community of the culture that needs to change more than a political thing, but the political thing is very important as well. Again, not saying that's not important. It's just secondary to a cultural change, which flows from the change of minds and hearts of the people in the church. So the Catholic Church understands, right, that the purpose and obligation, right, moral obligation of our government is to support the common good. Now, when we use this term common good, we could have like a whole class on this because people misunderstand it a lot. When the church uses the common good, she means simply this. It is a sum of conditions that allows, the, that cultivates a space for the human flourishing of the community and every individual in it. Right? This is the important aspect. The human flourishing, a set of conditions that allows the human flourishing to the greatest ability of the community and the individuals in it. Many times in a political schema, people are more worried about individuals or the community to the the negation of the other. But the Catholic good understanding by the Catholics is that the sum of things within a, a political system, a community, that allows for the human flourishing of the community to flourish and every individual in it. Like we need to try to pursue how that can happen. It's the Catholic both and, not either or, but the both and is very, very important. So as we do that, how do we engage there? How do we try to cultivate and to, to live and to act in uh, promoting the common good? First, we have to inform our consciences. What is our conscience? Conscience, a lot of times people um, kind of, oh, man, my brain is just not working. Words aren't coming. Like popularly, we believe like conscience is more something what I feel, like what I feel is right, what I think is right, that that's my conscience. But a conscience is actually, is the objective voice of God that resonates in the core of who we are. It is the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit, particularly those of us who are baptized, that resonates the truth. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that we are fallen And we are dealing with the effects of original sin and our own personal sin in our life. So while, like without a fallen world, then our consciences would be clear and it would be self-evident. and We would see the truth very easily and be drawn to the truth very easily. But because of the effects of original sin, two main ones. One is called a darkening of the intellect, which we don't always understand what is right. We don't always understand what is good. We get confused. Sometimes we think bad is good and we think good is bad. The darkening of the intellect. 
And then the disordering of the passions. What are our passions, right? There's these longings, these desires, whether they're bodily or even in our mind, right? Our emotions on some level for something. And so our passions can be disordered. And so the, the reason we need to inform our conscience is so that what we perceive as true is actually true. Right? It's based in objective truth, not just what I feel or what I think, but what is objectively true, based in divine revelation and the natural law, the way God has created us and ordered us to live as people in his image and likeness. And so it's important, therefore, to, to look to the natural law, to look, look to the teachings of the church, to direct our minds, hearts, and wills to what is objectively true. You know, we live in a relativistic world which says like my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth and like that's what that is. But that statement in and of itself is self-defeating. Like if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, then nothing is true. There is objective truth, the natural law, divine revelation. And we need to inform ourselves of it. And judgments by reason, right? What is actually true, not just what I feel or desire to be true. So when we're informing our conscience, which is a lifelong process, the church says that in the pursuit of the common good of society, we need to be aware that all issues that affect the human person are important. Every one. I mentioned this a few weeks ago uh, at Respect Life Sunday, that everything that affects the human person from the right to life, the basic right to life to exist, to the point of like how we have conversations with each other is important. But some issues are more important, right? Is these, every issue affects the common good is important, but because of the nature of certain acts, they hold more weight because of what they are. We're not a single issue people as Catholics, which sometimes people accuse us of, but we acknowledge that there's a hierarchy of issues, a hierarchy of goods that it's like building a house. If you build a house and you have the strongest walls and the strongest roof, but a weak foundation, eventually the walls and the roof will come tumbling down because the foundation is weak. And so we understand that there are some foundational truths, some foundational goods, and the others build upon those. And so I want to invite you to go home and before the election, hopefully sooner rather than later, right? In the Read the Bishop's Document, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, where they're going to speak about some of these distinctions and how to understand uh, how we engage in promoting the common good in our country and our culture. And so they talk about these distinctions. There's um, these two kind of fundamental distinctions of the issues. One, on, on the basic foundational level of what's called intrinsically evil actions, and they are these says, there are some things we must never do as individuals or as a society because they are always incompatible with love of God and love of neighbor. Such actions are so deeply flawed that they are always opposed to the authentic good of persons. Therefore, they are called intrinsically evil actions. They must always be rejected and opposed and must never be supported or condoned. By the nature of the action, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we talked about the object, like what the action is, and then there's my intention. If the action of the object is one of these intrinsically evil ones, a good intention can never make an evil object good. 
It just can't. No matter how much we want it to, it can't. And particularly those that are intrinsically evil that are there. So what are these? The bishop speaks about the the preeminent one that remains is the right to life and particularly the issue of abortion. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. It is a sensitive topic because it affects so many of us that we, we talked about the women under 45 in the U.S., they're one in three or one in four who have had an abortion. I mean, it's kind of take a little bit of a breath when, when we realize that, that reality. And so the first thing and always we need to hear is that if you have had an abortion or you've participated and encouraged in any way, the Lord loves you. He loves you. That's the absolute truth. That there is no sin that God can't forgive. There is no unforgivable sin. And the Lord just wants to draw us back and heal us and restore us. We talked about how it's so important that we meet people where they are, particularly in crisis pregnancy, and not just speak out the truth, but walk with them and love them and journey with them and help them, whatever it may be, to, to really dive in with tangible blood, sweat, and tears love. It's really important. Um, so, so just, yeah, we need to understand God's mercy there always. But to speak about the issue, which we need to, why is it the preeminent priority? One, because it directly attacks life itself. Two, it takes place in the sanctuary of the family, right? Three, because of the, the, the numbers. There are over 62 million in 50 years just in the U.S., 3,000 a day. It's the sheer numbers of the reality. It's, I, I firmly believe that one day on the back end of the history of this, we're going to wake up and we're going to be like, wow. Like, like people woke up on the back end of the Holocaust. Like how, how, how did that happen? Um, let's pray for the mercy of God again. And again, if, we've been, if you've been in, involved in any way, the Lord loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, and wants to draw us into his healing mercy. What are other issues connected, right? Euthanasia, assisted suicide, destruction of human embryos for research. All of these are directly attacking innocent human life. Can never be done, never supported. Other intrinsically evil actions, racism and all unjust discrimination, right? There's just no time that that is ever okay or ever good. Um, in our country right now, there's the, the bubbling up again in our consciences of this reality. And it's a hot button issue and there's inflammatory stuff on, on both sides. And so we can either want to like gauge in with swords swinging or, or like want to run away from it. But the truth is, is that we need to soberly and humbly engage with the reality. And be able to be af- not afraid to have difficult conversations and work through the truth of it and peel away some of the things that are kind of distorting what the truth of the heart of it is, but we need to look at it and we need to move forward in, in honesty and humility there. It's important. Redefining marriage and family contrary to divine law and the natural law, right? Like one man and one woman for the whole of their life. Again, it's a messy topic, hard and difficult in people's lives, but the, it, is, it is the truth of the way the Lord is, has created us where we flourish there. And it's, there's no way that we can support things other than that. And there's a lot of things in our culture pushing that as it's, it's a seemingly good thing to distort that. It's a seemingly good thing to change that many times, but it is not in accord with how the Lord has made us. And we need to always stand up for the truth of that reality. Cloning, human trafficking, 
forcing someone or an organization to violate their moral conscience, right? This is where religious liberty is huge. It's huge. We can never force someone, and there's a lot of pressure to Catholics right now in the country of trying to force us to do things that are against in medical care, against our conscience. We think of the, the Supreme Court case of the Little Sisters of the Poor um, that are there. So these are, right, in that realm of intrinsically evil actions, they're on the fundamental level. They hold the highest moral weight, things that we can never support or condone or do. But these aren't the only important issues, right? The right to life, the church says, implies and is linked to other human rights, to the basic goods that every human person needs to live and thrive. All the life issues are connected for erosion of the respect for the life of any individual group in society necessarily diminishes respect of life for all. There's a moral imperative to respond to the needs of our neighbors, basic needs such as food, shelter, healthcare, education, meaningful work, we could continue to speak about more, is universally binding and in, in, in that on our consciences to work for and to press into. These are important, important issues that are there. But these issues are, are like that, those second-tier issues that are within the church speaks about the realm of prudential judgment. What does that mean? That means like on the issue of poverty or education or healthcare, that there is a spectrum that we can disagree on what is the best way to, to uh, forward a more just situation there. On this side, it's not good. On this side, it's not good, right? But there's a spectrum in which we can disagree about what is the best path forward about that. But we need to engage, and we need to be seeking it, and we need to be doing it. But it is those things that are building on, right, those fundamental rights. What are some of these? The issue of poverty, fundamental option for the poor, very, very important. It's our salvation, right? Jesus is clear in Matthew 25, how we treat the poor has eternal effects on our soul. The dignity of the worker, don't use people as objects, just wages, working conditions, just immigration policy for those seeking a better life or escaping war or violence, especially ones that supports the family. Like this is a really key issue. Education of a youth, particularly in poorer communities, lack of quality healthcare, care for the environment or creation, national security, all these are very, very important, um, but they're within the realm of prudential judgment, right? There's, there's, there's ways in which we can, within this spectrum, say, what is the best way to do this and can, can genuinely disagree within an appropriate spectrum. And they, they um, again, are, are building upon the foundational ones of those intrinsically evil ones, which hold more weight. And these are important, but they, they build on top. So as Catholics, we're obliged, right, to fight for the good in every single aspect, in every single one of these, these areas for the common good. What happens sometimes is we, more or less, people will say, well, I'm choosing this political party or this political party. And then again, I'm, I'm, I'll, instead of critiquing that party where they need to be critiqued according to natural law and, and the teachings of the church, then we just take it wholesale and know we need to engage. Yes, there are times in the voting booth where we make a decision of who we're voting for, but then, but every 365 days a year, we need to be people who are living to promote the common good and justice in all of these issues all of the time. So as we are approaching the voting booth, two temptations that the bishops tell us as we look at these, these uh, issues that we need to be mindful for. 
The first is moral equivalence, right? Which makes no ethical distinction between the different types of issues involving human life and dignity. Again, it's saying, hey, all the issues we talked about, they're all equally important. No, the church is saying, no, there's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy here that's really important for us to get straight. Otherwise, we're building walls and a roof without a solid foundation. And the foundation on the bottom is the right to life. St. John Paul II was so, I mean, just like a champion for every human right. But he said that all the rights, right to health, to, to uh, property, the right to education, food, all of this, he says it's false and illusory if the right to life is not defended to the utmost because it is the right that every single other one is built upon. It is that foundation stone that every other one is built upon. So it holds a greater weight. And particularly today, as again, we spoke about the great grasp and spectrum of the effect of abortion in our life. It just, it just does hold that, that more foundational weight that's there. The second Temptation is a misuse of these necessary moral distinctions as a way of dismissing or ignoring other threats. So I just say, hey, I'm only going to focus on one thing, and I'm not going to look at the others. We always have to look at all of them. We always have to seek all of them. But yes, when we're making decisions, there is a hierarchy that we need to follow in making the decisions. We have to avoid the two distinctions of either putting everything on an equal playing level or just picking one. And the importance is we need to look at all of them. But then as I'm making a decision, there's a hierarchy that I'm looking at that's really important with, with the foundational aspect of life and everything building upon those and those other intrinsically evil actions and, and the prudential judgment ones building upon those. So what do we do, right? Where do we go? How do we make the decisions? Prayer is so huge. Prayer and fasting. I ask you to pray and fast for, for yourself, for us, and for our country, not just for the election, but after the election every day. Because again, it's about this change of mind and heart for the change of our culture. It's huge. Go home, pray and read the bishop's document. There's great information like on EWTN.com as well too about forming our consciences of the different issues, particularly looking at those intrinsically evil ones, and then building from there. And then inform yourself of the particular candidates and the party platforms, where these line up. Again, holding the ones that hold the greater weight, the family, um, life, uh, uh, you know, euthanasia, all of those, and then the prudential judgment ones, building there, looking at that, and then seeking where do they line up, how, where, what holds more weight as I'm making my decision. Then, some people have asked me, Father, I'm trying to do this, trying to do this the best I can. And the truth is, right, there's no like great in, in some of the, from the local to the president. There aren't any like great people who uh, their policies, and again, we're voting for policies that there um, are all line up perfectly with the natural law and the, and the common good and the teaching of the church and the dignity of the human person. And so I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit. Um, and so, Looking at this, again, what do we do? And I'm going to give three options just that they're there for Catholics in any election whatsoever. If there's no candidate that's like lining up so fantastic, then I can vote for one of the candidates who has a reasonable chance of winning, right? Particularly for the presidency, there are two of them. Has a reasonable chance of winning and would do the most good based off of the principles we mentioned, beginning with intrinsically evil actions and following from there. 
we never vote for a lesser evil. We don't vote for evil. We vote for the most good, right? What is the most good that we can do? Again, based off of what we spoke of, of the foundational principles and building off of those. A second option, I can vote for someone that more fits the the teaching of the church and the natural law, but doesn't have a reasonable chance of winning. One of those third-party candidates, like that's a possibility for for us to be able to do. Or there is like in in extreme cases, uh, maybe like, gosh, I'm wrestling and I don't feel like in this, there's anyone there that I can vote for. Is that possible as an option? It's a possible option, but it's one that we need to really be taking the prayer to think like, what are the effects of that, right? What are the, what are the effects as I'm casting my vote and, and, and understanding the effects of how I cast my vote and what's gonna be happening? So um, typically most of us, right, are gonna be falling into that first aspect generally, but we're looking at, we're looking at autumn as much we can. The second, third, uh, where are we here in, in, in voting and what are we doing? Um, getting a decision not to be made lightly, decision that we need to take time and pray to inform our consciences well. Like it's really important to form our consciences well, not just what I feel, not just what I think, not just what I desire, but what is objectively true based off of the natural law, the teaching of the church. Praying, fasting, doing this. And I'm gonna end here. Voting, we have to vote and we have to engage. After you vote, We need to seek, again, we cast our vote to fight for all the goods that the church speaks about, all the human rights that the church speaks about, not just the ones that landed in a particular party that we chose. But also, too, the fundamental thing that changes our country is not a political party, is not a political person, but the change of minds and hearts in a culture. John Paul II was from Poland. Poland, right, eventually became a communist country when he was pope. They, they would not let him go back to his home country because a communist country wants to root out religion. The, the state, in a sense, becomes a religion. It's an atheistic government. And so they not only they not like, ha, like again, so they, they just want to root it out, no religion whatsoever, just small toleration. So eventually the culture though, like there's this underground movement of people turning back to the church, of turning back to the truth. And it's just growing. It's a groundswell. It's a groundswell of people hungry for the Lord. And so they realize, like the communists realize, like, gosh, like if we don't let him come back, there's going to be trouble on our hands. So they let him come back, and he's speaking. He's speaking to millions of people in the middle of one of the largest cities in Poland. And then as he's speaking, he's talking about the natural law and the teaching of the church, the communists cut off the microphone so no one could hear him. They're like, oh, we don't like what he's saying. Boom, turn off the sound. What do the people start doing? Spontaneously, we want God. We want God. We want God. Millions of people. At that point, the communist government realized it's over for us. Like the people, the culture was changed. So by their hearts being changed, they were able to transform their whole country in a particular way. Is it perfect? Has it been perfect since then? No. But as we go about making these decisions, the most important thing is always the kingdom of God, our own conversion, our own salvation, and changing minds and hearts of individual people, which will change our country and our culture. Brothers and sisters, let us pray.
Come Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead and guide us as we make decisions, that you would inform our consciences of the truth, beginning with that foundational truth, Lord, of a right to life, Lord, and then building upon there. Help us to make the best decisions, but help us, Lord, in our own conversion and the conversion of our culture and to fight for the dignity of the human person in every aspect, in every way. Oh, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.